What is up, everybody? Welcome to the formerly known Pod Strickland Podcast. Um, as you guys, some of you guys have heard, we we change our name to the Overstated NBA Show Podcast. Um, we have a really good, really good episode, man. We're recording this. Uh, Boston is about to sweep Philly. We're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of jump around to to some of the playoff matchups as well as as possibly if we have time, touch on the lottery. I know Jacob has a has a lot to say about Minnesota. So yeah, everybody, again, we're recording this on a Sunday. Enjoy. Fellas, what is going on, guys? How are we doing? I am. Uh, it is currently what is it? Two thirty on a Sunday. We're recording this. Um, we have on the TV. Um, Boston is about to sweep Philly. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Jacob, Brett, how are you guys doing? I hope you guys are doing much better than me, as uh, I am hung over <laughs> as shit right now. Um, we had a, we had a wedding last night, so my my parents watched the kids for a little bit. So so yeah, um, I'm currently. Actually, if you guys, I'm in my wife's old bedroom at her parents' house. I have the laptop on a chair. It's hot as balls in here. And yeah, I got the headphones on and a microphone. That's all we need, right? That's how we do it. That's how we do it. What's going on, fellas? Oh, yeah. Not a lot, man. Not a lot. Doing well. Yeah. Doing yeah, well. Doing so, well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So um, obviously, uh, as we touched on the above, uh, we changed our name to the overstated NBA show and, and brett i know that you kind of reached out to the the pod strickland guys if you want to kind of touch on that for like uh pretty briefly here to explain uh what all went down with that yeah i, I did write write a thing in, in our facebook group that i know some people did see but basically i think it was just time for a name change when we started out pod strickland well first of all like we we got that name from bill simmons and ryan Rosillo. they had been searching for a name for their sunday night podcast and they asked for listener submissions and one of those was pod Strickland and and they liked it and they talked about it a lot and kind of went back and forth like, ah, maybe we should use that. And, and they never ended up using it, but we kind of just thought it would be funny to, to take that name just as like a little nod to them. Uh, But it was kind of supposed to be temporary. Uh, It's more of like a joke than anything. Like I remember we, we were saying like, we'll we'll come up with something better, but let's just call it this for now. And then uh, it just kind of stuck. And I think it kind of grew on us. And we went with it uh, for a while. We realized uh, after some time that there was another podcast called Pod Strickland. I'm assuming that's who suggested the name to Bill and Ryan. Either way, like it just it never really felt like a super original name. But anyway, like we're 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 trying to do something a little bit bigger with this, and uh, and, and we just thought it was it was time for a name change. So we went with the overstated NBA show. And that's, that's going to be a a part of a larger thing that we're doing, which we're, we're calling overstated. So that's about it. There's a few reasons behind the new name, but we just thought it's fitting, you know, pod Strickland served us well, but uh, it's time for bigger and better things. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I know we're very excited and everyone kind of stay tuned. We've got, uh, we've got a lot of ideas and we're kind of going to hook Jacob up with, uh, with a website and things like that. So um, it's been a hell of a week boys um as far as the nba playoffs go um i know brett you and i last time we talked you know my milwaukee bucks we had a little emergency pod i needed a therapy session so we we got through that and they i think they must have heard me because they look uh they look back to being their dominating self especially on the defensive end but since the game's on right now one thing that i know that we wanted to cover was this this boston philly series and i think it's safe to say I know I kind of make fun of Boston fans a little bit, and especially the Jason Tatum stuff. I did not think this was going to be a sweep, even without Ben Simmons. I, I just, to me, and I, I hate to say it because Boston won, I am just 
completely stunned and shocked by Philly. Brett Brown doesn't survive this. I don't see how he does, um, especially with the contracts that Philly has and the expectations going into the season. Um, you know, and shout out to Tobias Harris. Uh, I, I know that he had a he had a scary fall, and, and we really, really, really hope that he's okay. But you know, I, I mean, I, I guess Brett, we'll, we'll we'll go to you, followed by Jacob. But I mean the. Inserting Shake Milton as point guard didn't work for them. Al Hortford has not worked for them all year long. Um, and, and it's kind of funny because they, they built their roster to play Milwaukee and they don't even get out of the first round. Brett, why don't you give us uh, take us into your mind a little bit. If you're the GM of Philly, Brett, where do you go from here? What, 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 is, what does tomorrow look like for you? Man, I don't know. I don't have a lot of GM experience, so I don't know what tomorrow looks like. Ultimately, I'd look to move Embiid. I mean, it's it's been said a million times. Uh, I'll say it once more that you need to split up Simmons and Embiid. It's just not a good basketball fit. I think they should keep Simmons and just build around him. You know, we've talked about this a lot, but if you put the right guys around Simmons, I think their ceiling could be could be really high. And then with Embiid, like you know, he's got health concerns. Obviously, he's the kind of guy that that could really break down or, or have a major injury. You know, I, I hope that doesn't happen, but. You know, we don't know how long he's going to last. So I think you move him while you can get maximum value for him. So that's kind of the big thing. I think you you got to start reshaping the team. And then can you get off of Tobias Harris and Al Horford? I, I don't know. I mean, I think you got to get off at least one of those guys um, if you want to have any kind of flexibility moving forward. And But then it's like, what do you have to attach to that guy to get off of him? And it's like, they almost have to do like a reverse process now, like where, you know, they're probably going to have to give up some young assets or picks just to undo what they've done in the past couple of years with these bad contracts. So this is, the, I guess this is like the culmination of the process. This was it. This is what it looked like. And now they've actually got to undo some of what came from it. And that's the last thing I'll say too, is that, Look, Brett Brown gets a ton of blame. He really does. And a lot of it's deserved. But it wasn't Brett Brown's decision to sign Horford and pay Harris all that money. Um, and just the the general roster construction. That's not to say he doesn't have a say in it. But I think this team's just been mismanaged from the top down. And I don't think Brown deserves all the blame. They absolutely are going to need a new coach. But I think the front office deserves at least uh, as much blame as as Brown for the way things have gone because they just haven't built a team that works. For sure, Jacob. Yeah. Jacob, you're the you're the GM tomorrow of Philly. What, what's the first <laughs> thing that you do? Well, I mean, first thing, yeah, is like I think Brett. Now I like the Brett solidarity there, but you got to get rid of Brett Brown. I'm, I'm sorry, Brett. You got you got. Um, <laughs> it's not like it's not. Yeah, you're right that. He hasn't made decisions on the roster, or we don't think he might have had input, but we don't think he's played a part in this roster that's been put together, which just doesn't work. And it's not that maybe no one can figure out Embiid and Simmons together. Maybe no one can, but Brett Brown hasn't, and they have to try to see if someone can. So they have to get rid of him and find someone else. If they really want to make these two work together, you have to find someone else because this isn't working with the coach in place and maybe not maybe someone else doesn't and you need to get rid of them that's okay but you have to try and yeah this roster like one thing i've really realized this season is that they've invested so much in jumping the process a couple years forward too early and at this point yeah they're gonna have to start giving up assets to get off these bad contracts 
and they've they've set up a roster where you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you have players that don't seem to work with either of them on the floor. Like that's the terrifying thing. Like I don't know what's happened to Al Horford. He's like, I mean, most of these guys they work in systems. Like Al Horford, Tobias Harris, they're good players. Like all but a handful of players in the league, they are system players. You put them in the right system, they succeed. And this isn't a system where they're succeeding. Same with basically everyone on this team. And I mean, one thing that I've really was shocked about in this series, Boston Philly, is that um, so Philly's doing everything you'd expect Philly to do. They are crashing the boards. They're getting free throws at a very high rate, but they are taking the lowest percentage of threes of any team in the playoffs and they're shooting terribly from everywhere outside the restricted area. If you have a Joel Embiid-led team, that cannot happen. Like, imagine Dwight Howard's Orlando Magic without three-point shooting. That's kind of like what Philly is set up with right now. So, here's my thing. I don't want to hear whether it's from Doris Burke, whether it's from Stan Van Gundy, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Mark Jackson, whoever. I don't want to ever hear Joel Embiid is a top 10, top 15, even top 20 player in the NBA. He's not. We need to stop doing this. Yes, Joel Embiid has an immense amount of talent. It's fantastic. His talent's great. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't put in effort every single game like like these other guys do. He doesn't care. And he should he should not get a pass on this. He got, myself included, everybody thought, oh, we got to split up Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid had his team. There's no Ben Simmons. He was supposed to be the guy. His, his lackluster luster of effort is bullshit. He just, there is no way that that team should have got swept by Boston. If Joel Embiid is a top 10 player, Philly is not getting swept. This entire first round series from Philly is embarrassing. It really is. And I'm, I'm sorry to Philly fans. I'm sorry to Sam Hinkie fans. You, you guys are fucked. Like your, your, your team is lit. Elton Brand came in there and literally skull fucked your team. You, you guys are done. And, and I, I hope they know that. I mean, it is, I mean, if I have to hear Doris Burke one more time fawn over Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid, yeah, Joel Embiid, take your fucking ass home because you just got swept. Did that dude, I don't want to hear that he's a top 10 player. I don't want to hear he's a top 15. He ain't even a top 20 player. There is no way if that dude is that good that that team should get swept like that. And just looking at, he, he, he doesn't lead his teammates. How does he lead? The dude comes in every, by the third quarter of every game, the dude looks like he's going to have a heart attack. He's so out of shape. That, that dude has all the talent in the world, and he can't put it together. He just can't. I, I am so out on Joel Embiid. It, it, like that, that that Philly team, you're, you're done. You, you, you got what you deserved all season long. You were the sixth seed. Everybody, every you, you were everyone's media darling from Zach Lowe to whoever. Uh, Philly's going to come out of the East. Philly, Philly, Philly. Yeah, fucking take your ass home, Philly. You guys were that bad. <laughs> that bad. I mean, dude, serious? am I wrong? Like, look, look at Boston. Boston no, no. fuck this team. Boston's going on. Yeah. I don't want to hear about Ben Simmons, whatever. Oh, Ben Simmons is the only guy that can guard Jason Tatum. Dude, you had you had Thibel. He 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 played pretty well against him. He played what he played today. Nine minutes today. I know he doesn't give you anything offensively, but how Philly hasn't figured out again, I don't want to make this all about the Bucks, but look at what Milwaukee did. Hey, we got this dude named Giannis. We're gonna just surround him with shooters. Philly could have done that with Embiid. They could have done that with Simmons. Like it is just a colossal fuck up from this team and they got what they deserved. They got what they deserved. And it's 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 sad, man, because I like competitive basketball. I, I like the the rivalry between Boston and Philly. And and Philly to me just they just rolled over. Have fun. One, two, three, Cancun. We'll see you guys fucking next year. 
Damn, Steve. I, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't think they would get swept either. Like we did our preview last week, and I said, I said Boston in five. But when I said that, I was thinking in the back of my mind, eh, it could go six. Like even even without Simmons, Philly's not just gonna roll over. And like, yeah, games three and four, their effort was a little bit better, but. You know, and Embiid's numbers look great on paper. Like, I think he averaged 30 and 12 for the series or something. But if you look at his field goal percentage, it's like 45%. Like, he's taking some tough shots. And part of that's on him. And then part of that's on, like you said, they just didn't surround him with any shooters. Like, the only legitimately really good shooter on that team is Furkan Korkmaz. And he barely played. I think he played four minutes today. He's probably under 10 minutes per game for the series. And that's probably because he's such a liability on defense. But yeah, there's no excuse because Boston didn't have Hayward and their center is Daniel Tice. No offense to Tice, but how's Embiid going to get swept by a team with a six foot seven guy starting at center? And it's like, I just, I don't think Embiid is a great player for the modern NBA. He's he's not mobile enough. Now, if he could slim down, get in shape, he it might be a different story. But he's too slow, and he's not a good enough shooter. He's not as good of a shooter as he thinks he is. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Steve. I'm I'm way down on Embiid. I thought his effort level overall has been pretty dreadful in this series. And I mean, he cost them game three. He had back to back turnovers. I think the first one with like a minute and a half left, he was passing out of a double team and he just threw it away to Marcus Smart. And then he tried to force the issue on the next play down and Jason Tatum ripped him. So, you know, I question his basketball IQ um, in addition to all the other things. Well, it's also, and Jacob, I want to hear what you have to say, but, but Brett, we, we did that podcast. I, it was Monday or Tuesday when, when the Bucks lost to Orlando. And and the one thing I said, I, I said it over and over again was energy and effort. Like, I don't care how bad their team is around Joel Embiid. If he is the player that every single color commentator thinks so, every single media member thinks so, you should not get swept like that. And, and let's be clear when we say get swept, Boston was in control of that this entire series from game one until the end of game four. They, they were in control the entire time. Like I didn't even think you could pick – I know Boston fans aren't going to like me for this, but you could have taken Tatum off of Boston, and I still think Boston sweeps him just based on what we saw with Joel Embiid. Like that was – at some point, man, that dude has to put in the energy. It has to put in the effort. Like he, he should be able to, to will his team to at least one win in that series. And I don't think that that was, that's asking too much. Oh yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it sounds like we're all agreed. It's time for the process two point oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> here, we, here we here we go again. We got to think of a yeah. cute a cute name for this one. Um, <laughs> one my one thing with this, I just I did not understand the lineups that Brett Brown was putting out there. So like in game one, he started Embiid and Horford together. Jalen Brown came out and torched Horford right off Mm -hmm. the bat. It was a disaster. So game two, they go away from it. I think they start Harris at the four. Game three, he goes back to Horford and Embiid. And then today, game four, Sunday, he does the same thing. And it's like, and I think every single game that, I know in game three, Jalen came out and I think scored like the first nine points of the game, um, taking advantage of Horford. So I don't know what, Brett Brown's um, obsession with with that lineup is and why he had to do it. And I know it's just the starting five. And I know that, you know, he pulls Embiid and slides Horford to the five. But it's like, why not just when you pull Embiid, why not bring Horford in for him so you don't have that glaring mismatch for the first six minutes of the game? It's like, so yeah, Brett, Brett made some very questionable decisions as he tends to do. So I think, the, yeah, you, you want to talk about Embiid, Brett Brown, um, the front office. 
Tobias Harris not living up to his contract, Al Horford not living up to his contract. There's a lot of blame to go around, and there's really really nobody I'm happy with in this whole situation. I thought Josh Richardson was pretty good in this series. I thought Shake Milton was pretty good, but yeah, they're, they're just a disappointment for sure. That shouldn't have been a sweep. One, th- one thing I think we are seeing in this series and I think in other series that we'll get on to in the Western Conference is that at the start of the year, they were saying maybe this is the revival of bigger lineups. And I think we, we are seeing very quickly in the playoffs that is still untenable. You cannot go super big. You can't be playing two immobile big guys in your front court once you get to the playoffs. In the regular season, you can get away with it and people might think it's cute and, you know, it gets you to 50 wins and, you know, it's a quirky lineup and maybe you can go somewhere with it. Once you get into playoff basketball, you get just get destroyed doing that. And we're seeing that very quickly, yeah. Yeah, it, it's embarrassing. I, I don't know. Uh, Brett Brown, we, we, we won't have to say anything about Brett Brown because I, I'm imagining in the next couple of weeks he won't have a job. The, the other series that um, <laughs> that I wanted to touch on was uh, the Lakers versus uh, Brett Usher's Portland Trailblazers. Um, <laughs> game one was awesome. It was really phenomenal watching watching Dame kind of go off the way he did. But one of the things that, and I apologize, last week I couldn't be on that podcast, is I thought Portland was going to get tired. Um, and it, it kind of seems like in the last couple games, that is kind of what happened. I know yesterday was a little bit closer. Um, I saw some of the highlights and watch. I think the the first half of the game, my we had a wedding yesterday. And my brother in law was over, so he he's a huge uh, Portland fan as well. But it, it sucks. I mean, I wanted so bad for the Lakers to lose in round one. I thought it would have been phenomenal. The takes, the hot takes on LeBron just would have been hilarious. But I mean, I don't think this is that bad for Portland. I mean, Nurkic. He hasn't played competitive basketball in over a year, and and they kind of came in all fired up, and I'm happy that they got in, but it just seems like they've run out of gas. Brett, what do you think? This is your squad, man. I'll I'll open up open up the floor to you. This is kind of your, uh, you know, this is your tears right here, Brett. <laughs> I'm I'm not too upset, man. I mean, yeah, like look on Saturday they absolutely ran out of gas, and it was especially evident in the fourth quarter and it was especially evident in in use of Nurkic and look that guy has been giving it his all you know going back to day one of the seeding round like he got thrown into the fire after not playing for over a year like you said and they brought him back and he was playing heavy minutes with a heavy workload like they asked a lot of them as they had to because their roster has been so depleted and I think it finally caught up with him and he completely ran out of steam. You could see, you know, he he would catch it at the free throw line. And normally he would just take a dribble and, and go up and dunk it. And and he was really almost stumbling, like to get to the rim. Like his legs were just gone. And, you know, they they I think they got everything they could out of out of Nurkic, at least up until this point. And yeah, I, I'm not surprised that they took game one. I actually did say that on mm-hmm. the preview that we did last week that I expected them to steal game one. And and they did. That went about as I, I expected. And and then the thing is, though, look, Saturday night, like for as great of a game as LeBron had and for as well as the Lakers or as comparatively well as their outside shooters were hitting and the the free throw disparity, which, look, a lot has been made out of that. I do think most of it is based on the style of play where the Lakers are attacking the rim, drawing fouls. The Blazers were shooting a lot of jump shots. Obviously, they're going to draw less fouls. But I think in the first half, it was like 31 free throws to eight. Uh, in favor of the Lakers, and yet the Blazers had a four-point lead at the half. And then even into the fourth quarter, they were only down, I think, four or five. So like they were right there, 
despite LeBron having by far his best game of the bubble, the Lakers having their best shooting game and a massive discrepancy in, in free throw attempts. And the Blazers were right there. So I think that says a lot about them. And then it just got to that point in the fourth where they had nothing left. They all looked gassed. Look, I predicted Lakers in six on the season preview, on the playoff preview, I should say. And I could still see that happening. I wouldn't be surprised if the Blazers came out uh, and took game four. It's only two to one. I'm not picking the Blazers to win the series, but I think if they can even push it to six, I think that's quite an accomplishment, all things considered. Yeah. I mean, one thing I haven't really heard brought up about Portland is that their offense in once we got into the playoffs has been like it's the, the their offense is like blue screened of death. It's gotten like the red ring of death. Like whatever console you play games on, it's <laughs> it's fucked. They you know, outside of the restricted area. Portland is shooting 32% on all shots. All shots outside of three feet. How, what, what even is that? Right now, all they're being saved by is that the Lakers can't, basically can't make a shot either. But the Lakers, like you uh, touched on, Brett, the Lakers are the free throw disparity is huge, but the Lakers are absolutely crushing Portland on the glass and getting second chance points. Like the Lakers are getting 10 more rebounds a game. Seven of those are being made up with offensive rebounds, and that's helping them. Every game, they're taking three more shots and getting five more three fo- free throws per game than Portland. Lakers aren't playing well either. Neither side is really playing well compared to how some other teams are playing so far in the playoffs. But the Lakers, their size and their ability to body up against Portland is allowing them to just kind of bully it. And when neither side can really hit a jumper, neither side can really score that well. It's just Lakers just have more about them than Portland, whose offense has just fallen off a cliff. Yeah. It, well, and, and look, man, I think the Lakers defense deserves a lot of credit there because, yeah. Yeah. you know, in the seeding round, Portland had the best offense of any team. Now in the playoffs, they have the worst, mm-hmm. you know, based on offensive rating. So they went from the best to the worst, um, just like that. And certainly part of that is fatigue. But I think a big part of it is is the Lakers' defense. The way that they have defended Dame and CJ has been impressive. It's it's a different look than the Blazers have seen up until this point. And yeah, the bigs definitely neutralize Nurkic and Whiteside. Um, the Zach Collins loss was huge. I, like I thought he was going to be potentially their most important defensive player in this series. Could have helped them on offense too. Obviously, it would have been great to have that that third big especially against the Lakers but wow you know when it was announced that he was was out it it really things started to look bleak um but I'll never count them out fully like at least in terms I think they can win another game but uh you know it's it's a tough matchup man and the Lakers are starting to round into form I believe yeah I mean it'll it's nice to see um as much shit as we give him it's it's nice to see Anthony Davis kind of kind of balling out a little bit too so but you know, I know that uh, Jacob's got to be a little sad. He he said it was going to be a sweep, and it's not a sweep. So sorry, Jacob. Portland, Portland's. Portland. I did I did say sweep, but when Brett said they could take game one, I said yeah, that's possible. So well, as, yeah, as yeah. Kevin Garnett yeah. once told us, anything is possible. And by the way, that I just want to let everyone know for the record that 2008 Celtics team, their starters have never lost a playoff series. But uh, we we'll, we'll we'll carry on and move on from that. Um, the other series that I want to talk about is uh is 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 the Clippers Mavericks series. Um, Dallas has the best offense in the NBA. Um, I, I don't think that's really much of a debate right now. But should we be? Uh, Brett, we'll go to you first. Are you at all concerned with uh, with Paul George kind of not really 
playing that well, uh, or at least up to up to his standards. I really loved what uh what Charles Barkley what Charles Barkley said the other day. Uh, he said for those that have that didn't see it on on the. He said, "You can't be calling yourself playoff P and lose all the time." They don't call me championship Chuck. I, I fucking love Charles Barkley. That dude, <laughs> that fucking man. Um, That's great, Brett. Should we be That's concerned? Great. Should we not be concerned? Like, what, what are, you, what are you thinking? I'm not too worried about Paul George at this point. It's only been three games. The playoffs are a really long march. Look, this, this is something I've kind of been thinking about with this team. They remind me of the 2008 Celtics a lot. I think there's a you lot of similarities. Say, you did here. say that. And, that. What a great segue. Yeah, we had and it wasn't even planned. And it's, some, <laughs> and it's something I've oh, been yeah. something I've been thinking about. You know, just the way that they were sort of assembled just last summer with with Kawhi and and PG coming to the Clippers and, and joining Lou and Trez. Like it reminds me a little bit of KG and and Ray how they came in and joined Paul. So this is like their first season together. I think with this Clippers team, the chemistry took a little bit longer to form. I think Kawhi and PG. Both missed the entirety of training camp, and then PG missed the first eleven games of the season, and then ten more in January. Um, but then they they finished the the pre hiatus season going twelve and four, and really looked like they were coming together uh, in terms of chemistry. And then of course you know you look at at Doc Rivers, and that's kind of the obvious common thread there. But but also their identity, and I think you know a lot of that does come from Doc. But they are just kind of this tough defensive minded team. Um, I'd say they're slightly better offensively than the 08 Celtics and, and slightly worse defensively. You know, the 08 Celtics are an all-time great defensive team, uh, maybe the greatest. But, uh, but you know, they, they employ similar principles. And, and again, that's probably a lot of Doc. Um, you know, they're a deep veteran team. I don't want to get too bogged down, like comparing the roster, because that's not so much what I'm talking about. But it's just more like their overall identity. But what made me think of that was this series against Dallas, the struggles that they have exhibited early on. And if you remember, the 2008 Celtics got pushed to seven by the Atlanta Hawks in the first round. And I'm not trying to compare this Dallas team to those Hawks. This Dallas team is far superior. But if this series were to go seven, I think I can safely draw a comparison there. Whereas where like the Clippers are, to me, they're still a championship caliber team. Absolutely, without question. But they're struggling a little bit in the first round here. They're a little bit out of sync, a little bit out of sorts. And and the performance that PG's had, where um, I think he's shooting like 31 from the field, 24 from three uh, through three games. So that's rough. But it reminds me a little bit of what Ray Allen did in 2008. And I think his his horrible series came actually in the second round against Cleveland, but he he averaged like nine points a game on 33% shooting. So I just, I see a lot of similarities between those two teams. And I think that's kind of the main reason I'm not too worried about the Clippers because I feel like I've seen this before. And I think, you know, maybe it won't happen in this series. Maybe it'll take until the next round, but I think they are going to hit their stride. And by the time the conference finals roll around, you know, assuming they get there, they're going to be a a really really dangerous team, and to be honest, probably the the favorite in in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, they um one thing I've I saw looking kind of diving into numbers is I think Dallas is for real. I think what Dallas has done on offense, their offense has been pretty much the same as the regular season. Maybe a slight dip, but nothing major. Like Luca is for real. The Clippers can't stop him, and they can't really stop like Chris Stapps and the Dallas offense. The problem is Dallas's weakness was defense and the Clippers are just exploiting the shit out of that. The Clippers are shooting amazing everywhere on the floor. They're just, it's, it's, the Dallas can't stop them. I'd like, this has been the closest series so far, but I can't see it going more than six, honestly. 
because the Clippers are just, they are just playing lights out all over the floor. I mean, there was, where was it? There was, yeah, from mid-range, from like, from three feet to 16 feet, the Clippers are shooting about 53% from the floor. Kawhi is just killing it. Like 70% inside the restricted area. Like, He's a yeah, robot, dude. Just, Kawhi's a, Kawhi, I'm convinced Kawhi's a robot, man. He, he just like walks out of bed and just kills people. <laughs> like he, as if he goes to bed yeah and look and we know we and we know dallas on um, you know defense is is not their strength mm-hmm. that's it's kind of what what i expected in a way where like the clippers are going to be able to do whatever they want um but dallas is also going to score a lot of points and i actually thought this was going to be a sweep and now if i were to pick today i'd say it probably goes six i do have some news brett i want you to to kind of keep this in here but i'm gonna have to you guys are gonna have to finish this uh on your own because one of the joys of having twins is when one has just an explosion in their pants, the other one usually does too. So my wife is giving me the look <laughs> that I need to go help um, clean, the, clean, <laughs> clean the kiddos out. So I told them, I hope everyone, again, man, I, I love uh, the support that everyone's given given to us. It, it means a lot to me as well as it does to, uh, to everybody else. And uh, thank you guys for the support, especially with the you know, the new name, the overstated NBA show. But I, I told these guys that uh, I was going to bring some spicy heat today. And I, and I, and I hope I did that. It's always, it's always good when I can make Jacob laugh. Then I know that I, then I know that I'm doing something right. So um, I am, I'm going to bow out Brett and Jacob. Uh, you guys got to finish this and uh, like kind of what we did during the week, um, expect some unannounced uh, special, just, you know, random podcast drops throughout the week. If I need a, uh, a Bucks therapy session. Uh, I will be sure to hit up Brett and and Jacob and let them know mm-hmm. that I that I need to vent. But uh, I'll be I'll yeah, be rooting for them to lose their, their next game <laughs> oh, just, yeah. just so we just so we can do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, Brett. You gotta embrace the chaos, You just go embrace the chaos. Embrace the chaos, baby. I know, I know. It, it, it's a yo-yo, and it sucks. It really sucks. Being, I'm just, I'm just gonna say this. Being a fan of this, you know why it sucks. I, I will just tell you this. I real quick before I leave. It, it's just because. Everyone thinks that 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 Chris Middleton isn't a good enough number two. Everyone thinks that Giannis is going to leave. They just they just shit on Milwaukee, and and I get it. It's part of the game, and you just want to, you just want to stick your middle finger up at all these people. And I hope they win it all, just to be like, you guys fucking suck. We're the best team in the world. We just won the title. Go fuck yourself. But you know what? It's probably not going to happen. But you know what? I'm still going to wish it to happen. I'm going to will it to happen. Just 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 that's that's really what it is. And I knew it too. I was waiting for it when we lost. Um, that game, when was it Tuesday? Dude, I knew I was just gonna get shitted on. I was wait, I was waiting for it. I'm like, God damn it! That's and and that's the other thing. That's the main reason. That's probably more so why I was upset more than anything. I'm like, God, the amount of shit I'm gonna have to eat for this. The the sabaloni, the bucks and snacks. It's just all gonna come. Out. I knew <laughs> I knew it was all gonna come out. I'm like, God damn it! So, but they they look good though, Brett. I told you, man. Their defense oh, yeah. just seems to be coming around, man. And 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 they're gonna they're gonna oh, definitely yeah. need it for uh the, you know the next series against uh, against Miami. But boys. You guys will kill it like usual. That's it for me, man. I will. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you guys uh, later on in the week. All right, man. Good luck, man. We'll we'll talk to you soon. All right. So it's just Jacob and myself now. Um, I think we're gonna sort of skip over some of these series. Um, you know, I think Toronto and and the Nets is about as lopsided as it gets. And then you know Milwaukee, Orlando. Not a whole lot to say about that one at this point. You know, if Orlando can steal another one, that gets interesting but it looks like milwaukee is sort of they're starting to look like themselves again and and Giannis was just absolutely dominant in the last game so let's go over to the western conference because there's a couple more series out here i think that are worth talking about and the first one that we'll touch on is how about denver 
and Utah. This one, Boy. I think, I think has been a bit of a surprise for both of us, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I knew I expected after doing the preview of round one together, like we're going to get so much wrong here and we're going to look so stupid. You've got to kind of expect that anytime you do predictions, just don't be a coward, throw it out there. And we were definitely wrong about Denver, Utah. We got to accept that because Denver cannot stop Utah. Utah's offensive rating has a 131. That's, I mean, there's no way to even describe it. That's like plus 20 or something on offense. And the, yeah. it, the, like, the Mitchell Gobert pick and roll it, like versus Murray Jokic, that's, it's, it's just a bloodbath on every level. Mitchell's pulling up, hitting deep shots, getting to the rim. Gobert cannot be stopped when he rolls. Like there's just nothing Denver can really do on defense to stop Utah, which is scary because Utah was not a good offensive team in the regular season, and there's and they can't be stopped. It's terrifying for Denver, like going forward. Absolutely, um, Denver's defense has been an unmitigated disaster. Like you said, that offensive rating by Utah that's that's like 13 points higher than the next you know, highest team in the, in the playoffs, which I think is the Clippers or the Celtics one or the other, but either way it's, it's far and away. Yeah. Denver is just giving them everything. And and it's really been a lopsided series. I know it's, it's at this point right now, it's two to one, you know, as we're recording this, but if you look at the net rating, it's like Utah's plus 16.2. So, and yeah, man, it's, it's that pick and roll and it's Jokic. He is so overmatched by go bears, length and ability to finish above the rim like Jokic is not able to contest any of that stuff and I've ragged on Gobert quite a bit but I think now is a good opportunity for me to speak highly of him and give him some credit he's outplayed Jokic oh yeah hands down so far in this series hasn't even really been close and that 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 came as a big surprise to me like I think I maybe slightly overestimated the advantage Jokic has on offense going against Gobert and I think I vastly underestimated what Gobert could do on offense against Jokic because, yeah, he's just getting behind the defense whenever he wants. And uh, a lot of it is that pick and roll. And that's obviously a, a tough spot for Jokic. But even like Gobert could, will just be like in the dunker spot or um, around the rim. And he's really gotten good at sort of maneuvering just to get in in kind of the perfect position to just catch a pass and dunk it. He's He's pretty crafty with that. I've been paying a lot of attention. He's gotten a lot better at passing out of that spot as well, like kicking it to the corners. He's gotten a lot better offensively. Look, he still can't, he still doesn't have any post moves. He still can't shoot. Probably never will be able to, but you know, with everything else, he's gotten a lot better and and he has impressed me and he's just been, been absolutely killing Jokic. And, and then of course you have Michael Porter Jr. Out there can't play defense. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think on that same note, they're really missing Barton and Harris, like even more than I, than I thought they would be because I'd say Harris Harris is a really good defender. Barton's an above average defender in my opinion and um with those guys not out there it's just look man you've got Murray, Porter and Jokic on the court together and it's it that's that's ugly defensively. So it's just been a a bloodbath so far really. Yeah, I mean I mean with um with Denver like with Jokic it kind of it's bringing back up what everyone was saying when the bubble started about Jokic slimming down People were like, can he now bang in the post? Can he do this? But maybe he'll have improved foot speed. Turns out his foot speed stayed about the same, but he can't really bang in the post anymore. So like you're saying about Gobert is now able to get kind of deep post position against him. Jokic physically can't really match up with Gobert, which is scary because 
Jokic, I think a kind of Jokic from earlier in the season, like February, March time, would have really banged with Gobert. And that's not really possible right now. And in the pick and roll, in the open floor, Jokic is still just as lost as he was earlier in the year. So we're kind of, we're getting the worst of both worlds on defense with Jokic. And going up against, you know, you have had your tribulations with uh, Gobert, but um, Jokic really is going up against the best defensive center in the NBA. And on offense, that is kind of canceling out some of what he can do right now. It's just yeah, I don't. I don't think he's taken full enough advantage of that mismatch. Like I, I'd like to see him shooting more from the perimeter, perimeter operating a little more from the perimeter. But um, I think he's. I think he he's looked pretty gassed as well. And yeah. Um, but yeah, man, you, uh, Gobert's a, a really tough matchup for him on the other end. And and I just I didn't I didn't expect it to be so glaring. But uh, but but it's pretty easy to see that just the height difference and the length and and just the quickness. And yeah, if like if Gobert was more of an Embiid kind of guy that wanted to post up and catch the ball and operate in the post. Jokic could do a good job on him. Jokic is fine as like a post defender in that sense, but Gobert doesn't play like that. You know, he's a role man. And when he's not rolling, he's just kind of dancing around, like just trying to get in that right position. He's got a pretty damn good sense of where he should be based on where the ball is and where everyone else is. And um, that's just really impressed me. And they're picking them apart. Like, and I guess, look, man, I wonder if, can Denver make this interesting or are they just, are they just done? I, that That's the big question. Like, can they bounce back? Cause you know, they've, they've been absolutely destroyed these last two games. And, and even that game one, um, if Mitchell hadn't had that eight second violation, the jazz probably win that game too. And then it's, then it's three Oh, and it's it's a major embarrassment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is, this is not a good look for Denver. And the thing is, the last thing I'll say here before I pass it back to you, man, is um, if you look at their defense, their defensive rating, whatever, for this season, it's not bad. It's like right middle of the pack because they started off really good. Like the first two, three months of the season, uh, like November, December, say, I think they were one of the better defensive teams in the league. But after the new year, they just fell off. And I think they were actually maybe the worst defense in the league between January 1st and, and up until now, pretty much. And so it's like, it's a little surprising when you when you when you just look at their sort of season long defensive numbers or even last season's defensive numbers like they shouldn't be this bad but if you look at the last few months of the season and and the bubble it's not as surprising this has kind of been the case with them for a while now and and it's just been exacerbated by the absence of harrison barton yeah i mean yeah the thing is this is a bit of a shootout like denver isn't playing badly on offense that's something I think to bear in mind. Like Denver's offense is about as good as it was in the regular season, maybe even slightly better right now. The problem is, and they're, they're shooting well from the floor. They're shooting, well, like, I mean, 44% of three on threes. Like that is mm-hmm. like, what the fuck levels of shooting. Yep. But like you say, yeah, the problem is really like, because I thought when, when we were coming in, Utah's defense that in the regular season has been down from what it has been in previous years, it was pretty run-of-the-mill for them. I mean, it was above average, but still for them, above average is like, oh, maybe that's a warning sign that they're not that good because they've never been a great offensive team. But yeah, we get into the um, into the bubble against Denver. The fact that they're still quite a good defensive team and they're able to score at will against Denver, for me, like this series, I, I'm, I think Utah's got it, honestly. I think it's a bad matchup for Denver. I think Utah, I don't think Utah will be able to do much once they get up against Kawhi and PG. But 
for now, I think Denver just doesn't have it on defense to really slow them down. Yeah, that's. I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, you make a really good point about Denver's offense. And yeah, whether you look at their their offensive rating or their shooting percentages or um, or even like Jokic's individual numbers or, or Porter's or Murray's, like their offense has been about what I expected it to be in this series. It really has. And, and it's looked about how I expected it to look. But it's Utah's offense. That is what I did not see coming. I didn't see this shooting. Like they're leading – uh, the playoffs by far in three pointers made, three mm-hmm. pointers attempted. They're definitely up there in percentage too. They're shooting them pretty well, yeah, but 42%. I just, yeah, I mean, but I just didn't see them attempting mm-hmm. this many threes. And like they've got a lot more firepower than I thought they did. See, I thought that's where the series was really gonna was gonna turn. Was that just Denver has so much more firepower, but um, Utah has has definitely been um, superior in that sense so far. And 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 look, man. They didn't have Conley the first two games, and then he comes back for game three and scores 27, comes out, hits his first six three-pointers. Like, and, and that was something I noticed early on in the bubble during the seeding games was that like this guy looks rejuvenated. Like, I think that Achilles issue that's sort of been nagging for, I think, a few seasons now, yeah. he finally looks like back to his old self. He looks better than he looked in years. And then, of course, he misses the the couple of games um, due to the birth of his child. And then he comes back and it's like, oh, yeah, this is not only Mike Conley coming back, but it's like a rejuvenated Mike Conley and maybe extra rejuvenated because he had some time. So a little bit of extra time off. And uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Denver's in big trouble right I, now. So, yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's a great point because we forgot about kind of Mike Conley at the start of the year. I mean, I remember the excitement of that big three forming and then Conley, obviously, he had that kind of. Like hey, like when Hayward came back, like when a lot of these guys come back from these season-long injuries, he looked as a couple steps slow at the start of the year. But yeah, like he's come into the bubble after a few months to off after the season to rehab. He has looked like Con- mostly what Conley was, and Conley, when he was at his peak, he was really an all-star level player. He never made the all-star team because he was playing in the West, and you have to be a Hall of Fame point guard during his era to make the all-star team in the West. That's how hard it was. But he was an all-star level guard. And even if he's taking a step back now, you're still talking about adding like a top 50, top 40 player to an already playoff team into the playoffs. Like, yeah, we kind of, I don't think any of us were really ready for what Conley would do when he came back. And if this is him, then yeah, Utah's for real. And, And Mitchell's probably been the best player in the playoffs. I think he's yeah, leading the playoffs so far, in scoring. Yeah. Gobert is playing the best playoff basketball of his life, hands down. And yeah, a lot of that is is the matchup. But I don't know, man. Are we sure that if they do get into the next round, they're not going to give the Clippers some trouble? Like all of a sudden they they look pretty damn good. They're so well coached. And I think that's mm-hmm. one last thing we should probably mention too is um the coaching battle has been as one-sided as any oh, yeah. aspect of this series where Quinn Snyder is uh, – he probably deserves a little more credit um, than he gets mm-hmm. for for his coaching. He's he's a fantastic coach. And, and if you look back, man, like like you were saying when they – before this season, a lot of people had them as like a kind of a sleeper finals pick coming out of the West or at least, you know, a top three seed or whatever, however you want to put it. People were really high on them. And then it just, the Conley thing didn't click to begin the season. And they were, they were a little disappointing. And the whole season was, was kind of disappointing compared to the expectations people had, but maybe they're at the point now where they're starting to gel. And uh, look, the Gobert Mitchell thing was a big question like that kind of chemistry thing. That doesn't appear to be a problem. Conley's fitting in. 
they're looking good. And but yeah, I think I think Quinn Snyder deserves a lot of credit. And I, I, I love Michael Malone, but I think Quinn Snyder is just like more of a like a playoff coach. Do you know what I mean? Like more of yeah. more of like an X's and O's guy, more of an adjustments guy. So yeah, that's been that's been a big mismatch too in Utah's favor. Yeah, I mean, from game one, it was kind of clear, like, oh, Quinn Snyder's really done his homework on this, and he is like exploit, and all these things that he's trying to exploit are things that when you actually see it play out on the floor, you're like, fuck, that really works. Like, the, you know, he's able to take that kind of that X and O's theory and apply it to the floor, and it's clear he really fucking knows what he's doing in the playoffs because they are just mm-hmm. they are just picking the the whatever cracks there are in Denver's defense or offense, they are just picking at them. Yeah, they're 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 just they're attacking Jokic. They're attacking Michael Porter Jr. Like Michael Porter Jr. is going to be having nightmares for a long time to come uh, from what he's experienced in in this series. And you know, I love that kid, but dude, he's a rookie, and he yeah, wasn't yeah. a great defensive player coming in. That's never been what he's known for. I think his effort is pretty good defensively, but but he he's just lost out there, and the Jazz are well aware of that. And and Quinn Snyder has really um operated their offense based on weaknesses like that. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah, know, man. I'd say, so I'd say if, you were, if you were picking, if you were picking today, with this is Sunday afternoon, Utah's up two to one. Do you think it's Jazz and five now? Because I think we both picked Nuggets and five last week. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say we're both kind of eating crow on that prediction. Yeah. I think that's definitely our worst one of that whole yep. show. And we got to kind of, we got to own that. Yeah, we fucked up because, yeah, I'm saying Utah in five, maybe six, maybe six. Yeah, I could see. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say six at this point. But yeah, it's too late to make predictions. Those are already yeah. set in stone. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, things. It's just amazing how much things can change in one week, especially with this sort of accelerated playoff schedule where like uh, you know the Celtics and Sixers just we're at Sunday afternoon and it's only been one week and they've already wrapped up their series mm-hmm. like it's so crazy that a lot of these series have already gone for um within a week so yeah a lot has changed and but yeah this was the one I think we were both just way off on but that's what makes it fun and next, then next year Denver next year yeah yeah oh man they're uh they've been they've been they've been probably my biggest disappointment of this of this whole thing so far but uh but it's it it makes sense now that i see it it's like oh yeah that actually yeah that does make sense and but yeah i underestimated gobert i I really did i underestimated their team so um anyway let's uh let's move to this other series in the west real quick man the the four five and i think this one got Really interesting on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. That's OKC and Houston. OKC was down 2-0. And it kind of looked like you know, Houston's got this one in the bag. And then uh, OKC comes out and, and wins a tough one on Saturday. And and, and I thought that was a, it was a really fun game to watch. And and I think this series is still interesting. And this one, uh, did we both pick uh, OKC in seven? Yeah, we picked OKC yeah, in seven. Yeah, I could still see that happening. Uh, but I think I, I still have a feeling it's going to go seven either way what are some of your thoughts on on this one at this point yeah i mean yeah i think you hit it i mean after two it looked like oh shit houston this might be it they're wrapping it up but that game three could swing this i mean right now the series has gone i wouldn't say as i've expected the one thing that's really shocked me honestly is houston's defense in the playoffs that has been really good okc is having real troubles on houston's like switch everything defense it like the small ball they aren't they aren't exploiting it like i thought they would like they can hit they're really getting to the rim they aren't hitting shots though from anywhere else and houston is like i mean they've gone full i mean you know houston are taking nearly th- 53 threes a game 
and they're shooting them like it doesn't matter at that point if you, even if they're only shooting like 34% you're still generating good offense like i think it's a very what Houston's doing now in the playoffs their defense is looking good and they have such a high variance strategy with the three point shooting on offense if they catch fire for a month they could be the champions Houston like that's i mean that's always been kind of i think Darren Moore's approach that we're going to take this high risk high reward style and push it to the limit and then one of these years we're going to have a month where we're shooting 40% from 3 on like 50 attempts a game and we're going to blow everyone off the floor in a playoff series i don't that's not happening right now cuz they're only shooting 34.2% but Houston's they're not looking bad they're not looking bad with this small ball lineup i think teams can't really punish them steven adams hasn't looked great um no it's a tough matchup for him it is and they if he's getting play off the floor cuz he's you know, he's he's a bit slow, but he's an athletic big man. And yeah, like unless maybe someone comes along who's lightning quick at the five spot and really kind of forces Houston's forces Houston to go a bit bigger, they might not face someone like that in this playoffs though. And then what can they really do? Like what can you do against Houston's small ball? Because OKC, I don't think, I think I've switched now to Houston in seven, mm-hmm. but because I don't think OKC can really score on Houston the way we thought they should be able to and yeah I I'm I'm sold on this small small ball as it stands there it's it's tough to match up with man and like I probably would have thought at this point it would be like flipped it would be OKC up 2-1 and then Russ might be coming back and then that makes it a little more interesting that obviously makes Houston stronger but uh, that's still a question mark though as of Sunday when we're recording here the Russ is, I haven't heard any word. Uh, you know, I know he wants to come back. I know he's going to try to come back, but I'm not confident that he's going to be back for game four. And yeah, man, you were right. Like the first, at least for the first two games of the series, OKC did not exploit that defense the way that I would have expected them to. But in game three, they did. Yeah. And and this was something I said yesterday in the Facebook group was that like Houston is really small. Everyone they play is six nine or under. But they're not that quick. You could say collectively as a whole, they're quick because, you know, nobody's slow that's out there. But these aren't quick players, right? If you're looking at, especially defensively, let's say defensively, you're looking at Harden and PJ Tucker and Covington and Jeff Green and House. Like, you know, just all these guys that they play, Eric Gordon, these are not like quick players like Austin Rivers is probably the only guy on that team I would consider or with, you know, with Russ not there, of course, that's like a quick defensive player and so with OKC's like three guard lineup that they run I thought they were going to take advantage of that a little bit more because none of those guys can stay in front of any of the OKC guards like none of those dudes I just mentioned from Houston are staying in front of Chris or staying in front of Shea or staying in front of Schroeder and we finally saw that in game three where Schroeder was just blowing by everybody Shea was blowing by people Chris was blowing by people so that looked a lot more like what I expected from them. And then, yeah, the Adams thing, man, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say he's like unplayable against Houston, but it it does remind me a lot of what we've seen when they play against Gobert in the past. But he got hurt at the end of the game there. And um, I think it was just like a knee bruise, but he didn't return. And so OKC went super small where they had, uh, and this will segue to the one other thing I really want to talk about with them, but but they had their three guards, Shea, Schroeder, and, and Chris, and then they had Lou Dort 
I guess, at the four and then Gallinari at the five. And that was something I know I mentioned on the on the playoff preview that we did where I was hoping to see some Gallinari at the five. And they ran it for the whole overtime and they opened that overtime on a 12-0 run. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the highest overtime margin of victory since the advent of the shot clock. So they ran them with that lineup. And look, I know Harden fouled out, but like Lou Dort looks like he might be a Harden stopper. Harden shot three for 14 when Dort was on him. And in game two, it was similar when Dort was on him. Dort, the way, you know, he's built like Harden, but like bigger, like he's built like a truck and he moves his feet exceptionally well. And the main thing that I think makes him stand out as a defender against Harden is that he's got great discipline with his hands. Like where Harden gets guys into trouble is when they reach or when they have their hands out or reaching towards him. And that's where he kind of will get under your hands or sort of entangle himself in your arms and, and draw fouls. But Dort doesn't really do that. Um, he's, he's really disciplined in that regard. And yeah, between that and his size and strength, where Harden can't muscle him the way he muscles so many other defenders, and then the way that he moves his feet, he stays in front of him. He's a problem for Houston. And so they're going to have to play him a lot. And that's obviously like a, a two-sided thing because he doesn't offer much on offense. He really can't shoot. He is great going to the rim. He's a really good finisher. He's really powerful. He's got a lot of burst going to the rim, but uh, he's an interesting thing, but they're going to, we're going to have to see a lot of Dort, but if you have Dort out there, you know, you got to have Gallinari out there. So I, I hope we see more of that very lineup that I just mentioned with Gallo at the five and Dort at the four, or, or even like you could you could switch it up and maybe put when Harden's not in, you could put Baisley at the five and, and then you'd have to, of course, have Gallo next to him for the shooting at the four. But I think what I'm getting at is they need to go small as well. Um, Adams isn't offering enough. I think he's averaging like 10 points a game in the series. But like and I, last night or uh, Saturday night, he played, I believe, 35 minutes and only scored six points. So it's like you would think like he would have this huge advantage around the rim on offense. Like you just throw it to him and he's dunking the ball, but that hasn't been the case. So I don't think he offers them enough offensively. And even in rebounding, I don't think it's worth it um, to have such a defensive liability out there. Cause they looked so much better when they were going quicker. It just seemed like it unlocked something for them. And maybe him getting hurt because it's a minor injury is, will turn out to be a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on something there, especially with, um, with Houston's, lack of foot speed compared to when OKC goes small there you're right Schroeder was just he was just destroying them in game three and you that lineup of three guards with Dort and Gallo in the front court I mean we might see that with teams matching up small against Houston where now they have to kind of match them for size they actually have the personnel to do it they just don't do it until they have to and it might be that this is kind of a rena- renaissance for teams like OKC, teams that are trying to stick with traditional big men and are realizing, you know, we can just throw Gallo at the five in certain matchups and we will be fine. Because we have, yeah, you're right, guys like Dort who is just built. Like he is, and yeah, you're right, he's quick. He's looked good against Harden. Like, and if he can develop some semblance of an offensive game, like just, just a corner, three-point shot, you're talking about a really good player, like a real positive for your team. And yeah, with CP3, Shea and Schroeder, they have so much scoring that um, right now, maybe that doesn't matter so much. Maybe going forwards, though, um, I don't think they're going to win this series. But maybe going forward, that is a lineup they can try to work on more. They can kind of see something there with Shea because a lot of these players aren't here long term. But I think maybe Shea and Dort probably are. 
if they want if they want to keep them and that's kind of they might be looking to this like this lineup works we can start building something here maybe this year it doesn't get us out of the first round but as we move forward we might start switching to the Houston style and I think that's something we might see coming out of this that you know teams might start dropping their big big men centers because they're like look we just don't need it we just yeah we're not losing that much maybe against yeah maybe we go up against Embiid and he scores 35 a game on us but if that team isn't set up well, like Philly isn't, like they just got swept, it doesn't matter. Like score 35 and beat. You can't shoot from outside. Your team sucks and we're just going to roll over you. I think that's that might be Houston's biggest imprint coming out of this because I don't think they have the personnel to win everything. But I think I think they got this series right now. I see. I'm I'm still confident in OKC. I really think that something clicked for them. In in game three, that was just the the overall sense I got, you know, aside from just, I I don't know, man, I'm going to go as far as to say that I think Dort has defended Harden as well as anybody I've ever seen just in these last two games, because he missed game one. Remember that too. He was, he was out uh, with an injury for game one. So that, that hurt them more than I realized at the time after seeing him play. And then I heard somebody talking about that he defended Harden really well during the regular season too. And I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch uh, that tape or look at the numbers, but I'm not surprised. I think he's, I think he's great. Yeah. He's definitely a long-term keeper for them. Really interesting player. I, I've kind of been sleeping on him. Like he, I, I'm really woken up to uh, what he can do though. And yeah, I, I don't know, man. I still think OKC can do it. It's going to be close. But the thing I will mention too, before we get off this series is that look, they looked really good going small against Houston on Saturday. Absolutely. Because look, Gallo is the tallest guy on the court. He's 6'10", like a legit 6'10". So like, yeah, he's not a good defensive player. He's not really much of a rebounder, but it doesn't really matter when you're going up against PJ Tucker and Robert Covington. Like those guys aren't going to kill you on the boards or like, you know, take you down into the post or something. So he, he really wasn't much of a liability at all in that matchup. But if and when Houston gets Westbrook back, that's where you might need to play Adams a little more um, because you're going to obviously need more rim protection when you have a guy like Russ that just goes to the rim so relentlessly. So I do think Houston is missing a, a massive wrinkle of their attack without Russ. And that goes without saying, but I think specifically in that regard where he might force OKC to play their rim protectors in Noel and Adams because of his how devastating he is going to the rim. But then that opens up those guys to to sort of get exposed that could change things but again that's a big question mark with russ like we'll just have to see and that doesn't bode too well for okc if if he comes back assuming he's at full strength no 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 i think you're you're very right but with russ in the lineup remember you are by having russ in the lineup you're kind of you're trading shooting for penetration and maybe that hits them in a sweet spot where they still have enough shooting on the floor with the real penetration because like you say, because, you know, Russ is a force of nature going to the rim. Like, you're right. Like, no one on that OKC team can really stop him going to the rim if they don't have Adams out there. And even then, Adams, a lot of time, will get blown by. If he's even slightly outside the paint when Russ goes downhill, he's getting blown by. But in certain situations, I do think they will prefer to have shooting on the floor. And that is, it's still a trade-off when you're talking about going five out versus going five out with Russ and Harden, that's a slightly different situation. And I think will Adams. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a really tough question. 
Play, right, because that, that lineup that lineup yesterday with, with say with Gallinari, you know, with Dort busy on Harden and, and Gallinari as kind of your five, like Westbrook's gonna eat that lineup alive, oh, yeah. most likely. Like who's who's stopping him at the rim? And the thing is Westbrook, yeah, he okay, sees very quick in terms of their guards and wings, but Westbrook can get by anybody anytime he wants. That's that's what he does. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're right though. That's a good point. You do you sacrifice a little bit of shooting, but you still have probably four shooters out there with him. And I mean Russ isn't a guy that Look, say what you want about his shooting, but I still don't think he's a guy you can just leave wide open. Like he has his moments like where he shoots it pretty well. I wouldn't say he's like an he's not like an Andre Roberson or like a Ben Simmons bad shooter. He's just he's just inefficient, but um, you know, he can still make the three. So it's not like he's you're completely giving it up, but yeah, that'll that'll change things. Uh, obviously, he's a beast. So we'll just have to see about that. But I, this is a fun series. I think it just got a lot more fun um, now that OKC's got a little bit of momentum going. So this was one I was I was really counting on. And I think it, it may live up to uh, my expectations yeah. yet. Do you want to hit on the lottery real quick before we get yeah. out of here? Yeah, yeah. Should we Yeah, do a quick? That's kind of the other, the other big news of the week. Um, yeah. I'll just I'll just read it off just in case um, anybody, you know, didn't see it or doesn't remember. But it uh, number one pick went to Minnesota. Number two, Golden State, number three, Charlotte, number four, Chicago, number five, Cleveland, number six, Atlanta, number seven, Detroit, number eight, New York, number nine, Washington, 10, Phoenix, 11, San Antonio, 12, Sacramento, 13, New Orleans, and 14 is going to be Boston from Memphis. Um, So, you know, I think Minnesota is kind of the the big story here, being that they Mm -hmm. have the number one pick. It's it's an interesting spot for them. We talked about this a little bit before the podcast, where there's a couple of different directions they could go here. And what do you think about their the spot they're in being number one? Well, before this draft, we were people were talking about it. I mean, it's quite generally considered not a good draft. I don't I don't buy that. You know, I've looked at a lot of drafts throughout history and seen that people were saying they weren't good drafts about a lot of these. And unless you're talking about the two thousand draft. Every single one has had a Hall of Fame level player, at least one. So no matter what you want to say, like, oh, no, these guys will be stars. No, one of them will be a star. One of these guys will be an all-NBA caliber player in like 90% chance. One of these guys will be. You just have to find that guy. But the problem is the biggest talents in this draft are guards and big men. You know, um, Okungwu, Wiseman, Toppin is listed as power forward, but, you know, he's 6'9" bouncy fucking forward he's more going to play big man in the NBA and the rest of them are guards and both of those positions are places Minnesota they have you know the, their tent poles for their team in Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell even though I don't think Russell should be I think I'd, I don't I wouldn't have him but Carl Anthony Towns is sorry King Cody but he is a superstar <laughs> level player and I don't really uh, – is there a player in this draft? I mean, I don't know enough about the players. I'm just going to say I don't think Minnesota should keep the number one pick. I think whoever is the number one talent isn't someone they need more than, say, say they traded down to four with Chicago. And from Chicago, they got the number four pick. Maybe you can squeeze a future first and like Otto Porter Jr., like that's something, and then obviously you need salaries to match up, but you know, you know, extra. But that's kind of the nucleus, I think, of a deal I would be looking at if I was Minnesota, because then I'm getting a three and D wing guy. Because like Otto Porter, I think is very fine. He's fine. 
like 40% three-point shooter, long, tries hard on defense. Yeah, play my small forward position, please. And then I can trade down. I can avoid this crapshoot at the top. And I can kind of save face by picking someone I think fits more with the team, like a Kungwu. Like we talked about that in the mailbag. I think he would be a really nice center to have next to Carl Anthony Towns to kind of to make up for the defensive shortcomings Towns has and really anchor the defense while Towns anchors the offense and then get more assets going forward. And then you're, you're filling up two spots in your uh, lineup with, you know, someone who might be a star, but at least, you know, fits well with the team you're building rather than going for the best player available and find someone, maybe Anthony Edwards, maybe he's too score first and he doesn't really fit as the perimeter creator playmaker with Carl Anthony Towns. And then you've wasted that number one pick. Like I think there's too much variance right now for Minnesota. For me, I would be looking to trade down. I agree. I think this is, is a prime spot for a team to trade down. It makes so much sense for the reasons that you outlined. Like, yeah, I question Wiseman's fit next to Towns. I really question LaMelo Ball's fit next mm-hmm. to Russell. If they're really going to stick with Russell long-term, I, I just, I don't know that you can do that. So, I mean, first of all, yeah, it does, it comes down to like, do you take the best available or do you take the best fit? And a team in Minnesota's position, it would make some sense to take the best available because how important is fit really for like this coming season? Like, do you really think you're going to make the playoffs or, you know, like I, part of me thinks they should go best available, but, but I I like drafting for fit and just the nature of this draft. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I think Anthony Edwards is the guy that most people seem to think they're going to take. I don't love that pick for them. Like, yeah, we both said a Kongwu as, as a fit just because he sort of does what towns doesn't do well. Um, so he makes a lot of sense for them. But uh, yeah, you, you think about like who are some teams that would maybe want to move up to the number one pick, and, and yeah, and what would they be willing to give up? Like, could you could you get like Miles Bridges from Charlotte? You know, mm-hmm. like would they? How badly would one. they want the number one pick? Like, you got to find a team that's absolutely in love with Wiseman or Ball or Edwards that would be willing to move up. And um, I, I definitely think that Minnesota should explore that. In any American sports league, the number one pick in the NBA draft has the biggest like if you just average out across history has the biggest impact on your franchise that any single asset can have unless we're talking about you know Michael Jordan as an asset you know but we're talking about as draft pick capital you know um, salary cap area it's the most valuable thing what are you going to do with it because you're also yeah you're in a draft that doesn't have a Zion or even an, an Anthony Davis, a Carl Anthony Towns, a Ben Simmons, there isn't someone like that here. You need to make the right decision because someone, because the problem is as well, like I said at the top of this little segment, someone in this draft will be that level of player. That's just, I will be, I would be willing to bet any money that someone in this draft is a Hall of Fame talent waiting to happen. Well, and that's the thing, though, and this I mentioned this to you before we started recording, is maybe they have a guy in mind who they think is that. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've done their homework. Like, maybe they think LaMelo Ball or even James Wiseman or Edwards, maybe one of those guys, they think, look, this guy is way better than people even realize. Like, this is a Hall of Famer. We're absolutely keeping the number one pick to get our hands on this guy, even if he's not a perfect fit. Like, we'll we'll figure that out later on, but we just need to get him. So they could have a guy like that in mind. But yeah, on paper, 
to me, it makes more sense to trade down and turn that number one pick into maybe the number four or number five pick. Uh, maybe you have a guy in that range, number seven, eight, even that mm-hmm. you think you could get there. And, and, and so you trade to one of those teams who's really looking for for a franchise changing player because you have your franchise player in towns and, and you have your point guard, you know, or at least your um your scoring guard in in D'Lo. So yeah. they might have different needs than teams that normally have the number one pick. Yeah. So I, if I were them, that's what I would probably do is, is just try to turn it into assets, whether that's um, some young talent or maybe just a nice piece that could take them to the next level, like an auto porter type of guy, or mm-hmm. maybe future draft picks. Maybe you could get a, a future first round pick plus, you know, a mid lottery pick plus a, a nice young player just to give, just for giving up this, this top pick. So it, you know, there are some there are some teams out there that that value it tremendously. Like you said, it's an incredibly valuable asset. So yeah, but I I, I have faith in in Rosas. I think he's I think he's a good guy to have in place there, and um, this is really his his chance to make to make a mark. But I like what he's done so far for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got like guys like I mean, we haven't even touched on Malik Beasley, but he looks like a nice piece. If you're adding one of the guards, you're just you're adding to this logjam at the backcourt when you really you need wing players and you need guys that support towns and there isn't really apart from like Denny Avdija who you know people far more clued up on this and far smarter than myself have compared him to guys like Gallo or Hidu Turkoglu I don't know if that's the type of wing player you need maybe you feel like you do need more creation and you need more scoring with a guy like Towns I am looking for I'm looking for the defense more than I'm looking for, you know, your creation offensive game. Because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking like I have Russell who can create from the perimeter. I have Towns who is like the biggest offensive weapon at the big man spot for, you know, years and years. I need something else for my wing players. I don't think there's really anyone right at the top of the draft which offers that. Right. I, I agreed. Um, especially in terms of wings, like of Deja's a very nice player. I remember when he was a couple years ago, they were comparing him to Luca. Um, he's not, that's not the type of player he's turned into, but um, yeah, he's, he's a nice player, but I, again, man, and we talked about this on the mailbag, like defense is absolutely needs to be their number one priority. And that that's one of the reasons I like a Kongu so much because like, how often do you have like a top five, six, whatever he's projected at pick, who's like a true defensive specialist, especially as like a, you know, a power forward. And, that's kind of what he is. Like he, I, I think he at least could turn into a defensive specialist, a rim protection specialist. And if you're thinking la- long term with Towns, that's what you're going to need eventually mm-hmm. next to him. So it seems like a, a golden opportunity to, fi- to to maybe bring in like this perfect pairing with Towns. And it might take a couple years, but you know if Towns is going to be there for for a long time, if that's your plan. I really think a Kongu makes a, a ton of sense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, maybe maybe you trade down to the four and take him there, or even the three. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, you just you I mean, get what you can, and um, yeah, and, and I, I would love that pick for them. Yeah, I think. I mean, even as low as like six, maybe you offer. Maybe Atlanta really likes Edwards or really wants Wiseman. Maybe a Kongu is still there at six because I don't know how many like teams are really need a big man over a wing or guard creator in this draft that are above them. Maybe you take, you know, give us DeAndre Hunter and the sixth pick and you can go number one and take James Wiseman and have this Trey Young Wiseman pick and roll for years 
with you know Cam Reddish around them and Herter and whatever, maybe Atlanta would be amenable to that. You know? That's a good call. That's a good call. Like because Atlanta sort of has the kind of guys that you're talking about. Those mm-hmm. you know, but with um, I don't think they're going to be. I don't know. I mean, but they've got yeah, Hunter and Reddish are two young, good defensive wings. At least they that's what they'll become. No, like you always say, man, nobody's really a good defensive player as a rookie, but um, those guys both could grow into being elite defensive wings. Yeah. So that um, would be a really nice fit. Like if you could get one of those two guys in the number six pick and still get a Kongwu, then yeah, you're you're sitting pretty. I don't know if that's possible. And I don't know how high Minnesota is on Culver still. Like, I don't think they've they certainly haven't given up on him. Like he he had moments and he has a lot of defensive potential. So maybe that's kind of their their win guy of the future. But yeah, it's got I think I think you just you gotta look for defense and um yeah. there's a couple of options here. So just to um segue from this, just want to say as well, I've thought about it for a while. I think the Warriors should try to get Wiseman at two. I think they should keep the pick, take Wiseman. Honestly. I like it. I think I that's like I think that's a big I think he is he gives them so much a dimension they've never had before as this kind of gigantic, hyper-athletic big man. And he has all the tools to be good defensively. If there's anyone who can get that out of you and kind of toughen you up, I think it's probably Draymond teaching you. And yeah, having Stephen Clay to roll off, to you know take that gravity away from the rim, I think Wiseman could really flourish there. And I think that's more interesting for Golden State than trading the pick, for maybe a sub all-star, all-star level player that fits around them right now, but maybe three or four years from now when Steph is in his mid-30s and they're all in their mid-30s and maybe this maybe this hypothetical all-star is also in his early to mid-30s, the team is basically done. Whereas with Wiseman, he could, in theory, become your new kind of franchise centerpiece as this generation phases out. I love that pick for them, man. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a good call. I think putting him into that culture right off the bat would do him wonders. It could be the difference between him flaming out and becoming an all-star. Like we've seen that so many times before. So yeah, he's got so much upside, man. And you put him with around those players, like that could really be unlocked. And yeah. um, and, and like I think they have enough right now in terms of established NBA players where they don't need to be trying to trade that pick to get another guy because you know obviously um clay steph and draymond but then you know you've got wiggins can't mm-hmm. forget about that he he's, i thought he's looked all right for them he was good yeah. yeah i thought he was good for them and then they have pas- pascal yeah. how you pronounce yeah. it pascal yeah uh, he, i don't know honestly <laughs> but he's good too like i mean if you're talking about maybe their i don't know sixth or seventh man you could do a lot worse than him. He's he's a nice yeah. player. And they've yeah. got I, I still like Jordan Poole. I know I'm probably the only one in the world, <laughs> but um they've got a couple guys that sort of you got to play this season that that could contribute next year. So I think I think they have enough in terms of established NBA players where they could where they should invest in a, a talented young guy like Wiseman. I, I I do love that pick for them. I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think he makes the most sense. If they if there's good rumblings, the number one pick is gonna be Wiseman, then you know, maybe Minnesota is insane and takes Wiseman, or maybe they trade for someone who really wants him. Then I think Golden State should start exploring other options. But if they are convinced Wiseman will be avail- available to them at two, just take him. If I was them, or trade up, or trade up yeah. to you know get that get the pick from Minnesota. You know, Minnesota could get um even if they cause Wiseman's probably not the guy they want anyway. Like so, you know, you, you're able to 
swap that pick, get the guy you were going to draft anyway, and, and get a little something out of Golden State, like a future pick or something, or maybe one of their one of their young players. But yeah, um, yeah man, that's that's going to be fun, and, and I, I think the draft is going to be like right after the finals. So there's not going to be a whole lot of time in between. At some point, I'm going to have to really um, dive into the the scouting aspect of it and check out a few more of these guys that I haven't seen as much. But we're definitely going to be doing a a draft preview show, you know, oh, when that time comes. So we'll be we'll be kind of catching up on on scouting and stuff in the meantime, and and we'll we'll have something good for you guys. But uh, we yeah. we should probably get out of here. I think we're uh, yeah we we're, we always go along when Steve leaves. We don't yeah. have him to keep, rein us in. Track, but, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all good, man. Um anything else you wanted to hit on, man, before we get out of here? Um no, not right now. I think I think we've covered everything. I think Toronto, Brooklyn is over. It was it's been over. Whereas Milwaukee, Magic, um Mad- Milwaukee in five, to be honest. And yeah, yeah. Miami, interesting. Miami's hitting forty three percent of their threes. Thought thought that was a fun little fact. Absolutely killing yeah. it. Yeah, that, oh, they're uh, they're they're killing it, dude. I I'm so excited about that team, but I'm just like I, I can't take too much away from this series against Indiana, other than that they look good, and I think they are going to be a problem for Milwaukee in the next round. I think that has the potential to be like a classic uh, second round series. So I, I can't wait for that, and I hope they can just get through Indiana in four, um, and, you know, wrap that up and, and not expend any extra energy and be at full strength when they go up against the Bucks because they're going to need it, but the Bucks are going to need it too. So I think that second round in the East, man, is just going to be so, so good. Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee, Miami, we know that's what it's going to be. And those are going to both be amazing series. They're just such fun matchups. So I cannot wait. And that's going to be here uh, before we know it because these playoffs are moving along at um, – Oh, at yeah. warp speed so I mean, that'll be that'll be right around the corner man we'll be into that probably by the next time we record right oh yeah i mean they're gonna they're, i'm sure they're gonna start um conference semi-final series as soon as both teams have wrapped up so by yes. the next time we talk they could have played the first two games of toronto celtics yep so, yeah they could yeah i heard that they're not going to be really wasting any time like where normally they they could wait four or five days to you know line mm-hmm. it up with the scheduling and everything but yeah they're just going to be charging forward and trying to get this done as fast as possible and for for viewers like us man it's pretty fantastic so we'll yep. be talking about that as it unfolds but until then and like steve said we'll probably drop uh some kind of either emergency pod or a little bonus episode during the week we have a couple ideas and then of course we'll have to see what happens with the games namely the milwaukee games if they <laughs> drop another one steve's yeah. gonna want to come on here and, oh, and yeah. rant so keep an eye out for that and um yeah we, we remember we are the overstated nba show now and uh be on the lookout for the overstated.com and and some other things that that we're coming out with but just thanks everybody for sticking with us uh we hope you like the new name it's going to take some getting used to from for for us and for everybody, but I I think we're going to end up loving it. And, and thanks for all the support, the subscriptions, the listens. It's been a really fun ride since since April when we started this podcast, and you know we we really couldn't be more appreciative of of everybody who's who's shown love. So thank you all so much, and uh, thank you Jacob. Great talking to you as always, and we'll be we'll be talking throughout the week, and we'll be back at this sooner than later. All right, bye everybody. Thank you.